1: Hello, this is the 14th episode of the designfootball.com podcast. My name is Jay, I write blogs on designfootball.com. Today I'm joined by Simon Shakeshaft, known as Shaky, who is the cura- curator sorry, of the National Football Shirt Collection, uh, connoisseur and collector of football shirts, and also a co-author of the Arsenal Shirt book. Hi, Shaky, how's it going?
2: Good morning to you, Jay, or good evening if you're listening at night. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much indeed uh,
1: Okay, so Shaky, you're a a collector, you're particularly into match-worn shirts and you, everything you deal with is is to do with the curation of, of match-worn shirts generally um, What got you into match-worn shirts in the first place?
2: Mm, okay um, Like any young boy who likes football, and I think the majority do, I started out life collecting cards and stickers and programs and badges and it progressed like you do and then the football shirt remember i was born in the era when the football shirt replica shirt boom took off um so i had a wales kit and i was a proper full kit one of them um mm-hmm. wearing my wales kit for a lot of the time in the late 70s um when it was actually Semi acceptable for all my, my English mates to wear a Wales Admiral shirt, but of course I took precedent over all of them because I was actually Welsh. Um, and so I started to, you know, buy f- a few shirts or get shirts bought for me, and interest in, in shirts in general. Obviously, the eighties was a, a major change in fashion and design with regard to shirts and and the culture. The eighties was a Big cultural era, and I'm era, and I'm definitely an '80s man. Then I obviously went away and trained as a physiotherapist, <clears throat> um, and ended up as qualifying as a physio, <clears throat> or what they would call a physical trainer, or a physic- uh, sports trainer, or a physical therapist, or whatever they, the Americans want to call you. Um, and I think they call them sports therapists these days as well. So there's all sorts of titles, but I ended up qualifying enough. My qualifications were enough for me to go and work in football. And I um, <clears throat> started working in professional football in 1993. And for the club I was working at was my team I supported, actually, Hereford United, the first club I worked at. And from there, every time we played a big bigger team, and no disrespect to, to my beloved Hereford United, RIP, they're no longer with us. Mm-hmm. Um, we played a, a bigger team in a cup competition, etc. Then then it was interesting to see if I could get a match-worn shirt or, or a shirt, a player shirt from that team. And, I, and, and as I've explained in the past, the first shirt I ever got given was a Brian Roy Nottingham Forest shirt when we played him in the League Cup. And it kind of piqued my interest then to realise that one of the jobs I did when I qualified as a physio was at Hereford United for two seasons. I was actually the kit man as well. So my predecessor, P. P. Isaacs at Hereford had been at the club for so long; he was part of the furniture there. But he did everything. He did everything. Uh, you know, he he, was, he treated the players. He he warmed the players up for training and match days. And he used to. He was in charge of looking after the apprentices. I mean, I'm sure that he was treating players with a broom sticking out of his backside, brushing the treatment room floor before he went mm-hmm. home. You know, that's how he used to work. It was just unbelievable. So he made a rod for my back. So it was acceptable then at lower levels of, of professional football at the time that the physio would also do the kit. Um So I, I although I excuse my dog in the background, although I... um um, did the kit, It was a lot of it was in coordination or coordinating the apprentices to help me pack the first-team kit for away games and put the first-team kit out for home games. So I got an interest in, in shirts then as well, you know, but without the realisation that I would later on become an avid collector of Hereford United shirts. And from the era I was kit man, I do not have a home match-worn shirt. And then yet, when I when I closed the cupboard the last time I did it, and we brought in a new a specific kit man, um, uh, there were four full sets of kit of that particular style of shirt, and yet I haven't got one. So where did they all go? You know,
1: was that is that sort of a, a dedication? Is that a, a professionalism? So that your own shirts in your own role as a kit man, uh, a sort of sacrosanct. You can't you can't take them away, but other team shirts and and sort of other kit men that give you things and things you pick up in through matches against other teams, they're okay, they're they're fair game. Would that be the reason, maybe?
2: Um, I'm not necessarily... I don't necessarily think that's the case. For me, personally, I I didn't necessarily see Hereford United shirts as something that I would take such an interest in later mm-hmm. on, in, you know, as I grew up, as it were. Um, the the Hereford United shirts themselves... I'm absolutely gutted that I can't find one of these shirts now, that particular style. But they, it wasn't anything to necessarily to do with the fact that they were sacrosanct. Although, when all the kit men I've ever worked with, subsequently, are so precious about kit. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. Even Keith, the, the guy that took on the kit man role after me, and Keith, I'm sure Keith had a, had a Rottweiler sat in the corner mm-hmm. and an alarm that went off at the police station if someone stepped over the white line into the kit room without him being present. Mm-hmm. And he was frightening. You know, players would come in and go, I, I'm, I'm missing a slip for the training today or I need a pair of socks, Keith. And he'd make them sign for them. <laughs> and uh, if I can tell one quick story, we had a player at Hereford United who was an absolute legend at, at Swindon Town called Steve White as a striker. In the two seasons he was at Hereford, the one season, he actually won the Golden Boot for the Football League. um, scored 32 goals or something, I think, in one season. And um, Steve was a proper dedicated professional, and we played Swindon. He was one of those players that apprentices said to me, who should I try and be like if I want to go on and succeed in the game? I would have said, at Hereford, try and be like Steve. And Trying to be like Chalky, as he was called, but he, we played Swindon in in the what was the Auto Windscreen Tesco's trolley Johnson's paint trophy thing, <laughs> or whatever it was called at that time, <clears throat> and the Football League trophy or whatever it's called, and we played Swindon away. They were top of Division Three at the time. Hereford were in the bottom tier, the old Fourth Division, in Old Money, and Swindon were top of the Third Division at the time. And of course, it's only the bottom two teams, the third of the teams in the bottom two divisions, third and fourth divisions that played in that trophy at the yeah. time. So we played Swindon. I think it was like the area quarterfinals. And of course, Steve White was the only guy I've ever seen at a stadium get a standing ovation from all sides of the ground when he turned up. Mm-hmm. As it happened, he scored the winning goal. Hereford won 1-0 um, and he, got, he came off with a slight calf strain. And as he's coming off, he's going to stand an ovation from all sides of the ground. Anyway, after the game, he came up to me and Keith, the kit man, and said, Where do, do you know where my teeth are? Because he had obviously he had a bit of a Joe Jordan going on yeah. with, with a false tooth and a plate. And I said, I've got a clue, mate. He said, Come on, shake. Do you know? And I said, No, I ain't not got a clue. I've got a clue. And Keith's like, oh, Well, I'm, I'm more concerned. We've lost three slips and two towels and two pairs of socks. <laughs> and, um, so, anyway, I said after he, he had to go out and do the press, you see. So, that's what he was more concerned about and to do the press with his tooth missing. So, he did the press, came back in, and he said, What do you want me to do? And I said, I need to see you tomorrow just to assess the injury. Anyway, next day he comes in. Keith was like Beresi when players were around and Kit was missing. Yeah. He, he, he clung to his chalky walks through the, through the um, door, and Keith's on him straight away. Chalky, we're missing three slips from last night. You don't know where any of them are, do you? And he's Mm -hmm. like, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about, Keith. Don't know anything about it. So he's walked down into the dressing room. And at Hereford United, for anyone who's ever been there, the old dressing rooms used to have a long corridor to go down to, either home or away. They both had long corridors. So you walk down the long corridor to the dressing room. Keith followed him ahead of me. So I'm walking in behind him into the first team dressing room. And Chalky's put his bag down and Keith's in it straight away. He said, what are you doing? He said, oh, i just trying to check if you've got anything in there from last night. And he rummaged around, right? and no word of a lie, Chalky started to find his tooth, you see, and um, his plate and his false teeth. And Keith went, here it is, and he pulled out a slip. And the slip unraveled, and Chalky's tooth fell out of it. <laughs> and um, so his plate fell out. And so the lads had actually wrapped it up in his slip. And, um, and um, for those who don't know, a slip in football is a pair of pants. Basically. Yeah. And um and he'd wrapped it up in his um in a in his slip and, <laughs> and hidden it at the bottom of his bag. So but Keith found it by being busy as kitmen are, but also very protective. They are very, very protective people of yeah. their kits. So
1: Yeah, I, I suppose there's there's uh just there should be a general appreciation of kit men for doing their job so well and, and also you get sort of a, a bonus element to it when, when something like that happens. So yeah. for him being so desperate to find that, uh, you end up finding his tooth as well.
2: I did I did read a tweet the other day that that Roger, who's the now the hair of FC Kitman, who was previously the of Tonight Kitman at the end of the demise of the old club, Roger, um, had said on the team bus coming back from a game recently, and I think it was tweeted by the club chairman, that um he'd he'd actually laundered so many thousand of socks this season. He actually had the exact number of socks that he'd actually laundered this season. Now, that's taken, I mean, must, somebody said he must have a notepad. You know, that's taken it to the extreme to actually know exactly how many pairs of socks you have laundered this season. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they are very, they are precious. They should be appreciated a lot more for what they do. Because if you remember, um, if you think about it, the, the two men. Apart from the manager, the two other occupations in football that are in the front line on match days are the medical team, so the Mm. physiotherapist, and nowadays in the top flight, especially the doctor, as we know with Chelsea, but also the kit men, because Mm. if they go out looking like rag-ass rovers, then the kit men are the people who are going to have their back ends hanging out the window to get spanked, aren't they? So. You know, when we all love to go, oh, did you know that so-and-so turned up today and had to wear so-and-so's away kit? Yeah. You know, they're great for us, shirt anoraks to talk about those sorts of things, but the stress that will cause the kit man yeah. will be unbearable, you know? Yeah, a terrible um,
1: day at the office, that, yeah. It is, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, so that's that shows sort of, what your trajectory was, So how, how you, because I, I wasn't aware of that, that you, as a kid, you were actually interested in sort of different football kit designs. And then that, that transition to, to how you got hold of your first match worn shirt. And then it went from there. So what, what's the difference between a replica shirt and a match worn shirt for you?
2: Well, obviously in the eighties and the nineties, there were, Player are obviously bespoke. Hmm. Um, they still are with a lot of the clubs. I um, say, let's say a lot of the bigger clubs. You know, they have different levels of contract, don't they? Now, for for their for their technical support with their kits. Yeah. Um, and but I noticed that, for instance, you know, replica kits have. A treat heat transfer. They used to have heat transfer badges, mm. and and um, the player shirts had cloth stitched on badges and things. Mm. So they were bespoke. They were totally different. I mean, I'll give you a classic example. My Admiral kit that I wore, my Wales Admiral kit, the famous Tramlines kit. I I wore it to death, but it was the most uncomfortable thing in the world. You know, it was nylon. So the static used to light up the street when I used to take it off at the end of the day, if I did take it off. Um, It gave me the worst jogger's nipples ever. You know, I mean, I would have still worn it if my nipples were bleeding, which I'm sure they were at some stage, from the (laughs) nylon rubbing me. Um, And of course, after so many washes, the badge, the shiny vinyl plastic badge that's in the middle of the chest starts to fade and crack and peel, Mm. as do the logos on a collar so then wind forward um, however many years it was um, I think the first time I got hold of one was 2003 so so we're talking 26 25 26 years forward until I get my hands on a player shirt and it was just the I can't explain the joy of getting my hands on a player shirt mm. but the but the feeling and the, and the the difference in this shirt was just was remarkable. Yeah, you know that it was cotton. The cloth badges were admiral badges. On the collars were cloth. The, the badge in the centre of the chest was cloth and stitched on. And even the tram lines were not incorporated within the material. The ni- and they weren't made of nylon. They but they were they were a, they were a strip that was actually stitched onto the shirt, um, rather than incorporated within the shirt as they were on the replicas, and. And, and I think that's what, when you, every, there's varying degrees of collecting shirts, right, from from replicas. Even, I know there's people out there, bizarrely, that collect fake shirts. And, <laughs> or the cheaper shirt they can get their hands on, as long as it, it's in the style that it looks like the team they're trying to collect shirt, yeah? Yeah. um So they'll go from that level all the way up to the guys that spend thousands of pounds buying a match-worn shirt from a significant player from a significant Mm. occasion. And in between those levels, there are various degrees of collecting shirts. Mm. And we all have different collecting principles, whether you collect replicas or you collect match-worn shirts, all they're different. It's just that as you go the further up the scale, the actual number of people collecting those shirts gets less, you know, because there aren't many people I know that can go and collect, you know, Spend thousands of pounds a time buying match worn shirts. So those those are the I suppose they're the small one percent of the of the shirt collecting fraternity. And then you have you come down the scale from there. And um and I progressed on you know people progress you go through the various stages you you have your replicas and then you think oh and no, I'm intrigued and and nowadays of course it's different because you can go and buy the player bespoke shirts that the, the players don when they running around on, on in their stadiums on a Saturday for the clubs that have different differences between their replicas yeah. and their player shirts. And you can buy the blank ones now. And so people now, there's a sort of another level been put into the collecting market where you've got people who just specifically collect what the, what the guys in the Far East have christened PIs or player issue shirts.
1: Yeah. So this um, is this is the thing, I, I understand, because that shirt you you, you mentioned there, the Tramlines whale shirt, so that's the one that you wrote about for the 50 greatest football shirts ever, is that right? That's right, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I understand the logic entirely there, and the, the headline of it is that the replica shirt at the time was a far inferior product to the, the shirt that the players wore, and I think most people would agree, would agree with that, because there was more care and effort put into the players' shirt in both the... the depth of how it was created and the feel so everything was better about that shirt but if we jump forward to now would you still say that's the case or a replica shirts as i understand the replica shirts are built for durability they will have um they will have depth to say the crest when the players don't really need that they have like a, a heat transfer a lot for the crest is is that still a, a superior product and is it does it still have the draw for someone like you
2: it, it does. Obviously, the the market is diluted now because you have a you have an issue, a major issue, with the availability of certain styles. Not all the all the kits from all the clubs become available in in what I would call a player spec shirt, it's player mm. specification shirt over a replica shirt. And I, and I know that now manufacturers are getting very wise to it that they that they have a they have various levels of shirt available in retail up to a blank shirt which I would call a player spec shirt they're available sometimes yeah. there are subtle differences like I think Nike produced box sets of Arsenal shirts and Manchester United shirts when they when they were supplying Manchester United um, and they were slightly different um, and they, I think they did it with England shirts as well slightly different they've got like extra wash label in there yeah. that isn't in the player shirt that they wear on the match yeah. but you've got to remember for me it's about comfort and and um the, all the technology that those companies spend fortunes researching mm. which we 99% of people don't give a damn about they they end up that channeling all that money into the shirts that the players will wear now That's that's important because there's obviously they talk about one percent makes a massive difference in in top level sporting performance, and if that helps, I mean somebody said to me that when you, this would have been ten years ago, somebody said that when you, I watched a program they were talking about research. I think it was Canterbury that had put into into a normal shirt that normal material shirt and then a whether you call it the wicking effect, the ones where this, you know, the sweat gets absorbed through the material and it's supposed to evaporate off the body,
1: yeah.
2: um, etc., and the the normal shirt could weigh up to six pounds by the end of the game, more than this this one with all the technological advances in it, the wick, the wick the wicky one, whatever you want to call yeah. it, and 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 that makes a difference. That's like carrying three bags of sugar around with you by the end of a game as a professional athlete, that's, that's going to, that's going to affect your performance surely. Yeah. So for me, I think the players, you know, should benefit from that technology, but ultimately it's their works clothes. But when you come back to collecting those shirts, obviously the market's diluted now because you have, I still want to buy or collect, obtain one of those shirts. Right. But, Because there's a market out there now that's for player specification shirts and the readily available patches, sleeve patches, name sets, numbers, whatever it is that's out there, you can get it and you can make a shirt into almost identical, if not identical, to what a player would put on and wear Mm. in a game. And one of the questions I commonly get asked by other people, and I'm always suspicious when they ask me what size does so and so wear because uh-huh, that's kind yeah. of the last piece of the jigsaw for me. That they are trying to produce a shirt that is exactly the same as what a player would wear. Aaron Ramsey would wear for Arsenal. What size does Aaron Ramsey wear? Why do you want to know? Um, okay. oh, well, I just want to, know. you know, and I'm not saying that every single person asking me that question is doing it with the intention of being unscrupulous, okay? But what – I'm always suspicious of it, and and that's just because I've seen – I've had a bad experience with people doing it, you know? Hmm. And that's why I love things like the England shirt. You can go and buy, or will be able to buy eventually, I'm sure, the new Vapor England shirts, for instance. But what the player shirts have that you won't be able to buy – is the match detail that's on the shirt and of course it's tonal now so you you can't hardly see it until you get one of them up close as as you've seen before but so the people who want to fake these shirts I call them fakes but they're not technically fakes they're trying to make them exactly what their heroes wear and there isn't anything wrong with that but me being suspicious all the time because I've seen it when it first started people were doing it for the wrong reasons and then They invent a story and they sell it as match worn, and it's not match worn. It's never even been near the dressing room or the play or anything. But that's what happens, and and I'm always suspicious of people, and it, and it's probably unfairly in ninety five percent of cases, but sadly there's the five percent who manage who've got, you know, more front than Harrod's that will actually be asking you all these questions and come over as nice, and you and you you give them certain information and they glean it all and then they go away produce a few shirts and flogging them off and match worn this, match worn that. Um and and that spoils the market in which I collect.
1: Okay. What what but what that's that's what I'm confused about. What actually is the market? What is the appeal? So you you can have people who are interested in a shirt because of a particular design, then you can have it's iconic because of a period in which it was worn or it's it's specifically match worn. So why, why would you want a match-worn shirt, for example, of, of a particular match or a particular player? What What is that draw there? As opposed to having a replica or having a player-issue shirt, even if it's got a wash label in it, it's still got the same design, it's still got the yeah. same cut as the match-worn. What is the appeal of a match-worn shirt? Well, that's
2: like asking somebody why they collect a certain type of match-day programme. Um or they just generally generically collect match programmes you know why do you collect big game programmes oh no I, I collect everything the, the appeal for me about match worn shirts and why I started collecting match worn shirts was that everyone wants to be a footballer all young boys well, majority of young boys want to be a footballer some want to be rocket scientists but the majority of them want to be fo- footballers if they can of us have got no chance. (laughs) So I went and worked in football, which was the next best thing for me. So there are a lot of people who work at football clubs in various departments within football clubs. You know, some some of the Premier League clubs have thousands of people working for them these days. But the next best thing for me is being in the dugout. I can't be on the pitch, but what I can do is I can get a memento of that battle that's gone on on the pitch and that memento is a shirt that was worn by a player in that particular game so for me it's the closest you can get to the action without being there okay that's why i collect match one shirts and and as i said everyone has different collecting principles you know why does so-and-so collect a shirt you know uh, there'll be other match one shirt collectors will tell you something completely different why they collect match one shirts and there'll be a lot of people who collect tell you they collect replica shirts hmm. because they can't afford a match worn shirt, and there's no shame in that, but they don't want to go down that route. Um, but I'm collecting, I'm collecting replica shirts because I want to get all of my favorite styles or all the team designs that my club's ever worn, or or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. We hmm. all have different reasons why we collect shirts. Mine personally is because I collect match worn shirts because that is as close as I can get to it and for me as a welsh shirt collector you know an, an international team of my country that's a piece of history whether it's worn by hal robson carno or john charles that is a piece of history that guy has put on that shirt and gone out and played in an international for my team representing my country and this is the piece of material that he had on his
1: back while he was doing it so that is so it's it's the fact of the matter rather than necessarily the look or from what you say though i know you're interested in the styles as well but it's it's getting the essence of that particular event and yeah. owning a part of it
2: absolutely i mean i've been quite vocal on twitter about how i dislike the Wales Awake it the new one mm. because for me particularly international shirts should they should use traditional colours yeah um and grey is just has absolutely zero connection to to Wales in any way shape or form it's traditional colour mm. it's just I mean we had a slate grey kit once before and they like to call it slate grey because obviously North Wales is famous for slate you know, the only way you're going to get anywhere in Wales that's going to be that gray as the, the Awake it is, is by lying on your back looking at the sky in Blina <laughs> Festiniog on a rainy day. You know, um, I don't mind the design, but I'm thinking there are, you know, for me, Adidas could have done so much better job. And they could have even changed the color, but kept the design, you know, that sort of shadow hoop that it has. Yeah. Um, but in a different color, you know, Wales traditional colors are away from home, are yellow. Green trim, that sort of thing. And they've obviously sampled with with green and with blues and etc. And obviously now the vial grey. But as a match one shirt collector, as much as I do I'm not a fan of the shirt, I still have to have one.
1: Okay. What are they wearing that against do they play Russia in the, the Euros? What,
2: there is a ninety nine percent chance that England, Wales, Wales against England will wear the away kit. And there's almost Uh, well, the same chance that they'll wear wear the grey against Russia. And they'll only wear red in the group stages as um, in a game against Slovakia, the first game.
1: Sorry, Wales are going to wear the away shirt against England?
2: Absolutely, yeah.
1: Oh, come on.
2: I know. You see, this is a major debate that I've had. Now, that hasn't been confirmed yet, but I've been told that within a couple of weeks... It will become knowledge and hopefully I'll get a little exclusive on Twitter so I can rant about it. For me, that's sacrilege. That is absolutely horrendous that Wales have to change. And it's because of the daft UEFA rules and England deciding with Nike that they will have white shorts and red socks on their new kit. As England are drawn at the home team, the away team, if there's any clash at all, has to
1: change. That's utterly ridiculous. Sleep. Especially as it's a neutral venue, so there's no home team. England no. could just wear white socks or sky blue socks or or some other colour of socks. This the uh it's over. I think it's no it's that finished.
2: for me, I agree with you totally, Jay. I think it is the most ridiculous thing in the world that the third longest international fixture mm. which traditionally the countries have never changed their colours. And they go to a major championships in the twenty first century, and the, the 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 UEFA regulations are so anal that they have to change.
1: All right, okay, yeah, I I can't I can't even believe what you've just told me. But but would you do your best to get hold of say if if Aaron Ramsey's playing in that game, his shirt for that game? Because it I was would take any against
2: player's against. shirt from that game. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean. Uh, Because I worked in football, I do still keep in touch with a few people in football. Mm. And that helped me out when I wrote the Arsenal shirt book. You know, the the connections I had in football helped Mm. me get to people that helped me nail certain facts about Arsenal's kit. But So I still keep in touch. And when I worked at the three professional football clubs, four professional football clubs I worked at, the three football league clubs I worked at were all um, they still had boot boys and the physio had a boot boy he had a guy that cleaned his boots (laughs) so believe it or not David Edwards who's at Wolves now and plays for Wales was my boot boy and Uh he was a tremendous boot boy Joe Hart was my boot boy for a week and was the worst boot boy in the world (laughs) Um, Joe and Dave are actually very good mates but Dave I've kept in touch with Dave ever since I was in Slovakia when his first time he was ever on the bench for the Welsh senior team. Um, it's quite a pride moment for me. Um, I made sure his boots were clean, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, so he used to clean my boots. I've kept in touch with them ever since. And and through going and watching Wales and stopping at the hotel, and Mel Pedrick is a Hereford United legend at the time was the Welsh physio when I used to go all the time to watch them. And, um, like obviously, health reasons dictate I can't do that now, necessarily now. But I went and so I got speaking to Mel and and, and Dave's introduced me to other players, and I've become friends with some of those. So they sort me out with shirts hmm. occasionally. Um, Simon Church, for instance, um, had promised me I gave him a bit of a ribbon. I said, "The lad's sort me out a shirt." Any chance Churchy? And he was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll sort you one out." So after the game, he comes into the players' lounge and. And he sees me, and he tries to hide. Start with, and I thought, oh, he doesn't really want to give me a shirt. That's not a problem. I don't want to bend anyone's arm at their back and say, give me a shirt, or I'll shoot you. <laughs> um, but he came over and he rolled the shirt up. So I automatically knew at that stage, Welsh players had two shirts for every game. In yeah. fact, I think that's across the board now. You know, it's common knowledge that, you know, contrary to vicious rumour that's created by people who fake football shirts, players get two shirts a game. Right. At international level, it's it's very significant because it makes the shirts more precious, more personal to the players. If there's any two of them, two shirts available to them, then all the others are, you know, you don't want a multitude of other shirts available out there because it no. take, detracts from the fact that they're your shirts you're representing your country wearing. So anyway, he he came over and he rolled the shirt up and I knew that straight away he went, there you go, pal. And it, I knew straight away he'd rolled it up because it was his long sleeve shirt that he didn't wear. mm so I unravelled it and I went, I can't believe that. And he went, what, what? Expecting me to rib him and I said, you haven't signed it. So he mm-hmm. put on the front of the shirt to Shake Dog. Best wishes, <laughs> Simon Church. Well, I said, I don't know what's worse. The fact you give me a <laughs> long sleeve spare or you call me Shake Dog, you know. <laughs> but um, but overall, the the fact that I've managed to get the contact with the players through David Edwards to start with and Mel yeah. Pedrick, et cetera, for instance, through Dave, I've got to know Sam Vokes very, very well. Vokes, is a lovely lad, um, and he's always helped me out as well with shirts. And a few weeks ago on eBay, he, he donated one of his shirts to the Cumbrian Flood Appeal, and it was the Bosnia game shirt. Now, he's a substitute. He, Sam, sometimes players change shirts at halftime. The majority change shirts at halftime. So oh. if they, they start the game... They'll wear a shirt in the first half, come in at halftime, take it off, towel themselves down so they're dry, put the clean shirt on and go back out feeling a bit fresher for the second half. But Sam was a substitute against Bosnia and this shirt was from the Bosnia game. Now I knew that if he's a sub, he's obviously not going to have worn two shirts unless he came on in the first half, which he didn't. Yeah. So he's going to have his match-worn shirt and a spare one and I said to him, you know, is this genuine? And he said, apart from the very camp photograph of him lying on a a bed because it was advertising a, a bed company, you know, a mattress company mm-hmm. um, supporting the, the Cumbrian appeal and I said is this genuine? He said yeah it is mate. He said um, my other one is going in a frame and I'm keeping it because that's the qualifying game and I said I'm really interested in that. Pal. And he said oh, don't buy it, don't buy it. He said I'll sort you out one of my shirts for the next two games which were obviously Northern Ireland and, and Ukraine and, and then he, he contacted me on the Saturday after the Northern Ireland game and said I've got my shirt dry and lovely He's obviously picking up a bit of Welsh as he's going along. He yeah. said, it has got it dry and lovely over my balcony at the moment. A bit like, you know, all the lads you see when you go on holiday with their towels drying on the on balconies in yeah. hotels. and So he's there at the team hotel with his whale shirt hanging over the balcony drying. And, um, because i like them to be smelly if I can, you know, it's very sad. And my wife's got the, the nose of a bloodhound, so she can smell yeah. it coming up the drive if I've had a new delivery that day. Um, and so, I said to him, I said, son, to be honest, pal, because I'd already got a shirt in that style from the from the Netherlands game the yeah. first time they wore it. So, I said, I'm not being picky, pal, but is there any chance, unless you score a hat-trick on Monday against Ukraine, any chance I could have an away shirt, your away shirt instead? Mm-hmm. And he went, oh, so you're getting fussy now and hammered me, you know? Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll sort you out one of them then, pal. So, anyway eventually it arrives and I open the bag and there's both of them in there to oh. fair. So not only do I like him, I love him a lot as well, yeah. but he sent me the both shirts, which included his gray shirt, which they wore against Ukraine for the first time. Yeah. I had to, I had to ask him for it, but I, but I don't like it, but I had to ask him for it and, yeah. and, and he, and he let me have it. So, so, so I've got
1: one. <laughs> that's, that says that it is, it's the event that you're interested to, interested in and the, the fact that you don't, so you never wash it. Once you've got it, it never gets washed. Is that right? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It pass. gets aired. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I
2: don't face, I, I know that certain shirt collectors spray Febreze on their shirts
1: to mm. make
2: them smell nicer. Well, that's just because they're getting under pressure from the missus. Yeah. Hang, find a room, an outhouse, or, you know, a shed at the bottom of the garden to hang them in. And not unless they're too precious and too expensive, you know, I don't be careful where you put them because yeah. someone comes and robs your shed and, oh, look, there's there's a there's an England shirt there. Oh, I think I'll take that away. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, in some ways um, that adds to the authentication,
1: hmm.
2: yeah? But equally, the fakers that are out there will do their utmost to to try and replicate that.
1: Yeah. You know? Look, so so that says to me that it is certainly the essence of the match almost in literal terms that you, you want to get when you collect a shirt when you get a shirt from a particular game or from, from a particular player it's, it's that moment in history you want to keep it as, as authentic as you possibly can but you say about what so people will fake it. So what are the big thing is the the rolling around in your garden thing. So if you look at most football shirts, they're not particularly muddy, but you'll find a a a shirt with dodgy provenance actually yeah. is quite muddy because the way of making it look like it's match worn is supposedly to, to make it muddy. Um what do you have like a checklist for shirts? For me, the only way you're ever gonna know for sure and this even goes for players giving you the shirts is if the player gives you the shirt, it takes off the shirt in front of you as he's walking off the pitch and puts it in your hands, anything past that, there's an element of faith involved. Would you agree with that? Yes.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'll give you one more example. Again, it involves Sam Um, and I'm not his agent, by the way, Um, (laughs) but he, he promised me a shirt when Wales played Sweden in 2009 and and he said, I was, he came on a sub in the game, came into the players lounge after the game and saw me And straight away. He made his beeline for me, opened his bag and he said, you want one of my shirts, pal? And I said, yeah. And he said, go on and take one. And I said, well, have I got a choice? And he went, what do you mean? And I said, well, you got your warm one and your spare one. He said, yeah. Do you want one more one, dear? And I said, yeah. He said, well, which one is it then? And I'm like, I didn't want to tell him that it should be the one that's a bit sweaty. Um, yeah. <laughs> or the, and short sleeve rather than the clean long sleeve one. Yeah. But I went, that'll be that one then. one it, Pally went, yeah, there you go, mate, and gave it me. So I see what you mean, but that way he didn't come off the pitch and physically give it to me. But Sam, you know, there was only two shirts he had in his bag, and one of them was sweaty and short sleeve. Yeah. So that was the one he gave me because I asked him if I could have the match worn one. But yeah. yes, there is, there is always an element of. Not a hundred percent certainty with with, yeah. with shirts. There is a certain checklist, there's certain things you go through. And one of the things that I do is a lot of people say when they get given a shirt, a match one shirt, they don't do not appreciate necessarily what it is. So their first question they'll ask you is, is it signed?
0: <laughs>
2: and believe it or not, um, I've seen so many quality match one shirts over the years with fake signatures on. And to me, that completely detracts from the quality of the shirt yeah. straight away, you know. And, and 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 worst case example I've seen of that is a genuine number seven Liverpool shirt from the late seventies, signed by Kenny Dalglish, and the signature on it was fake, and that just ruins. Uh, and I'm not. Don't get me wrong, I'm no Liverpool fan, but that um, just ruins what is a first class shirt. Yeah, uh, the the provenance issue becomes a problem. Recently, the more modern the shirt is, the more difficult it is to to get one hundred percent cast iron provenance. Um, I mean, Roger Hunt's the England Liverpool striker, Roger Hunt's World Cup winner, Roger Hunt's shirt collection, well, memorabilia collection part of it comes up at Graham Bud Sotheby's auction on Monday Tuesday of this week and you know in there that all those shirts are what they are. The problem is because the England shirts are very much very similar or all the same in, in some mm-hmm. cases you know you you have to um, you have to give different detail you have to say, that the shirt can be possibly have been worn in the following games you can't be very specific in some cases other cases you can be absolutely bang on for instance he's got three number 21 white england shirts from the 1966 world cup yeah and but he can't attribute any of the games of the the previous 5 games he played wearing white he can't attribute them to any of the games
1: no that is, that is a, a crazy scenario, isn't it? That, that it's, it's got modest provenance then because you, you can't be so specific about it. But still, those those shirts are so much more valuable than yeah. a shirt that you can say that the player came on for the last five minutes of the game and he, he wore it in that, last, in that five minutes. So you can be so specific about that, you can know for sure. But this shirt is so much more valuable as, as a result, despite it being vague about when it was worn, so, yeah. Because You see,
2: there are different pieces of the jigsaw, as I said before, that make up um, the provenance of the shirt, and one of them, was, as I mentioned, was the shirt size, you know. Nowadays, yeah. it, it, it's like the last piece of the jigsaw, what size of shirt does the player normally wear? Um, and in that case, the, with, the, with the Roger Hunt shirt, you know, from the World Cup, the, the, the provenance is cast iron. What Mm. you can't be is game specific. Yeah, but you know it's a match worn shirt in a World Cup finals from a team from from a player, and a team that went on and won it. Um, And I don't think, apart from getting game specific detail, you can get much better than that. If you're an England shirt collector, for instance.
1: Yeah, the the whole the whole. I mean, match worn shirts isn't necessarily my thing but yeah. it does fascinate me the the idea of of why a shirt is is interested why it can you can be more certain and uh, there's other things like uh in particular competitions the sponsor size might be different and that kind of thing so that helps yeah. but yeah. again it's something you can fake and it's something that it can be match prepared but then not worn but then you you change it so it so it looks like it was match worn so one thing i did see on um it was on the classic football shirts uh Facebook page once, they had a particular shirt, uh, a shirt that Ronaldo, they were claiming Ronaldo had worn it, Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo Brazilian yep. Ronaldo, Yeah, he had worn it for Real Madrid and it had, it was the classic thing, it had some mud on it and so it's, oh yeah so it's a match-worn shirt that Ronaldo wore, so it's a hugely valuable shirt on on that basis, if it is match-worn if he wore it, if he wore it a specific game, and they had, they had this stain and it was on the sleeve I think and they managed to find a picture of the moment in the game where he'd fallen and he had, he had rubbed his sleeve against the ground and you looked at it and suddenly it was all right you could have faked that so what, what order did these events happen so if you look through pictures of the game or you look for the video of the game oh, he fell over there that means he might have a bit of mud on the shirt so i can put that on so that's possible but then that sounds like a hell of a lot of work but it, I know, well, I'm pretty sure that it happened the other way around. They got the shirt, arrived at their feet, and then they said, OK, well, let's have a look at the game to see if that's likely that it would have been muddied up that way. And then to find that picture and, and see that, yeah, it probably was. In this case, he did get his shirt muddy. It's, that's a fantastic thing, isn't it?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, they call it photo matching now. I mean, it's, it's an American thing. Because uh, the American sports memorabilia market is, is, the, I, I think personally that it's so much more stringent, so much more uh, policed than it is over here and or in Europe or anywhere else in the world. But American collectors will maybe say something slightly different to that. But to us, or for me personally, I think it's so much um, better in America when you collect um the jerseys and they i I, I could see i'm calling them jerseys now which (laughs) is what the americans would call them and they would call them game used and not match worn as well but you know obviously they don't do the soccer jerseys so much over there but they do um they have a huge market for basketball and and ice hockey and and baseball and, and american football obviously the other fifth biggest sport in america is nascar racing and i'm not sure that you know, you're gonna collect overalls from NASCAR drivers, but somebody probably does. But but either way, those and, and particularly in ice hockey and, and, and baseball, they they the provenance is so important. And and I've always said I've become that type of collector now where the provenance is important. You know, I've walked away from shirts that I'm sure have been hundred percent spot on. Mm. But maybe my gut feeling tells me I'm not comfortable with the, the story or the history or the, or the provenance that I'm being given with the shirt. And I've walked away. And I've probably walked away from a number of very, very good shirts in the time I've been like that. But I think that's the only way you can protect yourself because you buy a hooky match-worn shirt with no provenance and, and, and continue to spout the story that you originally told when you bought it and then it's found out to be fake your resale value of that shirt is zero. Hmm. I always I say to people, don't collect football shirts. Don't collect them as an investment. You shouldn't collect memorabilia as an investment. You're obviously aware that certain things are likely to increase in value over time, but it's like anything. The bottom could fall out of the market at any stage for any reason. So you shouldn't buy as an investment. Never buy, never buy a match-worn football shirt as an investment. Always buy it to enjoy it. Mm. And if over time it accrues a value greater than what you paid for it, that's a bonus.
1: I, I suppose as a way of continuing the hobby, there has to be an element of, of considering the worth of different shirts. And after time, there's a shirt that you've owned for, say, five, ten years then become a shirt where you can go, well actually this is valuable now, so I can get rid of this shirt in order to get more shirts that will now mean more more to me as I go forward. Is that would that be the case? Yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean I know people who, who collect and they will release things from their collection in order mm. to fund the purchase of another item yeah. that's more desirable to them. That happens. But you shouldn't you shouldn't be buying, in my opinion, you shouldn't be buying memorabilia of any kind thinking it's going to accrue value. I mean, you go and buy a Steve McQueen autograph or 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 a, whoever, you know, a Lady Diana autograph, you know that you're going to get a lot of money for those things. Michael Jackson's another one, I think. You know, Tiger Woods used to be, in sporting terms, used to be a massive signature to get because he was such a difficult signer. But do people want Tiger Woods signatures so much now?
1: <laughs> yeah. You know?
2: And that's what can happen, and uh, and you don't know what's going to happen in the match worn shirt market in the future. Yeah,
1: yeah. the I, I think that that's where the if you are doing something for an investment, and you you get something in in order to sell it on, and even if it's you're talking over ten years and it's, it's to to fund a pension or whatever it is, yeah. there is always going to be if that's your end goal, there, that's when the temptation to fake things must come in. I'm sure. Are Absolutely. You... I mean,
2: I, I see one of the common things that a lot of people write, and, and it's a it's a common faker's trait. When they, for instance, eBay. For me, eBay is is a bit of a gutter when it comes to match worn shirts because it's just such a mixed bag, and predominantly the actual genuine number of match worn shirts on there is quite small. Mm. Um, but when you read inscriptions, people go, it can only go up in value. It would look great framed. You know, I never frame a match-worn shirt now, ever. I mean, I did when I first started collecting and regret it because the framers don't appreciate what they might have in their hand. No. Um, and so they don't care how it goes in the frame. And no. I've seen some absolute horrors, not, not, not mine, thankfully, but I've seen some horrors where people have cut shirts to make them fit on on frames and stuff. And, and I'm like, oh, scary. So, yeah, you know, I wouldn't get them framed. But, I, but when you read somebody say, it can only grow up in value. That turns me off straight away. I think, no, no, it isn't about that. You know, for me, if somebody's talking straight away about how much is that worth, that's vulgar to me. That's just, you know, when that's like buying a Picasso and going for a million pounds and thinking in oh, 10 years' time, it's going to be worth 10. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. like, no, because for me, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. But, but ultimately, I sit on a, a Wales, Shirt collection. That's some very, very old. Just old doesn't always make them more valuable, by the way. But old classic players from from games. I was going to say from classic games, but Wales have only been to one tournament previously, so I won't go down that route. Mm-hmm. But the, um, you know, my Wales shirt collection will have will have a value, and if I consigned it to auction now, you know, I'll i I would accrue more than what I've paid for the collection. That's not what it's about for me. For me, no. it's about it's about the history. It's about protecting the history, because as collectors, we're not we're not then we don't technically we are, we technically own the shirt, but we're not. We're just keeping them, aren't we? Because when I turn me toes up and go to the big kit room in the sky, somebody else is going to own those shirts, and you hope it continues on for generations. And these these items, these historical items, which they are to me, um. You know, become more precious and more valuable. I mean, if if only people in in Victorian England knew what football shirts' history and research and and collectability of what they those garments they wore in the battle were going to be talked about now, I'm sure there would have been a few people snuffling them away and sticking them in leather suitcases for future generations.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but but you didn't. People didn't know what football was going to become. So oh, no, they didn't know. I, know. I mean, a, a classic
2: case of a, a Welsh international from the nineteen eighties, and I'm not going to name drop. He said to me, "When I played international football, and when I played in cup finals, and I got my shirts, I didn't collect them. I kept them. Mm. And now, without realising it, those shirts have accrued a value." And a lot of the older players are very surprised by what their shirts are worth, you know? And then when I asked another player why he'd sold his collection and had real no interest in shirts, he said, to me, they were my work clothes.
0: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away.
1: Football shirts through Collective, through Match Ward shirts through Collected. It it led you on. I suppose it was a an organic thing, or it was something you gravitate towards. Was creating a a book about a football team, but it was Arsenal that you've you've done the book on the the Arsenal shirt book. How did that come about? Uh, who was involved in that, and and what was the aim of it? What was, was there a kind of a a mission that you had in creating that book? It's it's.
2: Basically, it was a personal thing to start with that um, I I wanted to do something about to do with shirts, and although it wasn't about match worn shirts, with John Devlin's books, for instance, they'd obviously planted a seed, and that seed germinated. And I thought, you know, it would be nice that people can see the shirts that players actually wore or, you know, were attributed to players for certain occasions um, and the different styles that a club has worn. And I had different ideas um, and I'd spoken to, to other collectors um, uh, about different other clubs previously, um, even international teams like, you know, doing an England shirt book and, and there was an the idea to do an FA Cup final shirt book um, and just use, you know, shirts from, from all the cup finals from both teams if possible. That's a, that's a task in itself, but, it, you know, it wasn't going to happen. And then I was getting good friends with a, an Arsenal shirt collector called James Elkin, and James has, a, has an amazing collection of Arsenal match-worn shirts. And and, um, <clears throat> and I knew through connections with the, with Arsenal Football Club um, a few people, and I knew about certain collectors that collected. And what you've got to remember is that there are collectors out there of... Memorabilia and match and that includes match worn football shirts that don't go on the internet. They they you you don't even know they exist. You know they they can be very wealthy individuals and they have an amazing collection of of, of um of memorabilia associated with their with their club. And and that was the case with Arsenal. You know there was one particular collector. Um, well actually two because I found out subsequently that one of the other guys that was referred on to us has an amazing collection of match worn shirts. Um, and so we found, that James said to me, look, I can get in front of a very significant individual at Arsenal who will um, who will hopefully give us a nod to say, yeah, these are the people you need to speak to. Let's do Arsenal. So kind of James knew about my ideas and said, well, why don't you do Arsenal first? Let's do Arsenal. You know, he got into the driving seat and said, come on, let's go. So we did. And like 2011, 12 time. And at the time, I'd been obviously talking a lot to John Devlin about design of the book, and of course we get the go-ahead from Arsenal um, that yes, this is what you can do, this is what you can't do. You cannot pinge on IP. You cannot, you know, um, you can't do such and such. And of course, we were we were talking about doing little graphics in the book, mm-hmm. and they said you can't do that. You can't do mm-hmm. a graphic of a. Of an Arsenal crest, you can't do a graphic with an Arsenal kit, but if you're photographing shirts that you physically own, that are mm-hmm. yours um, even though they have an Arsenal crest on and whatever they, you can do that mm-hmm. you know, so we went right so we checked everything out with the legalities of them, we got a um, confirmation back from Arsenal to say yes, this is what you do, and at the time they hadn't actually announced who their new publishing company was going to be and we wanted to get on with it. So we went, okay, we'll, we'll do it. We initially said, let's do it ourselves. And then we realised that was a mammoth task. To be mm-hmm. fair, to self-publish, especially the first time you do a book, self-publishing yeah. is a mammoth task. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, through advice from, from Neville Evans, uh, whose collection you know I curate, he said, speak to a few publishers. And obviously he's had dealings with publishers as well himself. And um so I contacted a couple and myself and James went down and, and met with, with Vision Sport Publishing. So they've got this reputation. I think they won Best Illustrated Sports Book Award at the British Sportsbook Awards for about three years running, you know, uh-huh. with um and that's down to the design team. Where of course then that affected John's involvement in the project. So we lost John's input and in hindsight, I, I've said to James in the past, I would have still liked to have kept John involved because just because the depth of knowledge that John has about the football shirts, the subject mm-hmm. matter, um, that would have been great to have kept John involved. And in hindsight, like I said, it's a wonderful thing and I would go back, if I could do that again that would one thing I would change. Other than that, we, we, we got the shirt list together of who owns what shirts and which ones we want. And and as we wanted to to get as a chronological order and as many of the shirts as we possibly could Hmm. styles of the shirt. And we, we achieved that with, I think since 1965 and the book was published in 2014. So basically that's for 50 years. Yeah. For argument's sake. Um, we, we had all but, one, all but six styles of shirt, of which four of those styles were worn in the 1960s. When, as you know, that you're just not going to get those shirts anymore. Because no, no, no. there was an era when shirts were just reused and reused and passed down and reused and passed down again. So the youth team were wearing the first team shirts from two seasons before. And then yeah. eventually they were ripped up by the kit man and used as rags to clean the manager's car. And so they, they just didn't survive. And um, so there were, there were four sh- shirt styles from the 60s um, that we didn't get. And then, bizarrely, there was, there's a one-off shirt that Arsenal wore in a, in, a, in a Boys Brigade centenary game against Aberdeen in pre-season of 1983. And it was a complete one-off. It didn't even have an Arsenal crest on it. You know, it, had, it was a red-bodied shirt with blue, long blue sleeves. Mm-hmm. And Aberdeen in their home game wore blue. And these shirts were all given to the boys' brigade to sell. They weren't auctioned, they were sold. And we cannot track one. I mean, there are people who have been on that mission for a long time. Uh-huh. And apart from a CSI investigation into every cellar and attic in Aberdeen, I don't think we'll ever find one. Um, that, was, that was the latest one that we, you know, the most recent one we couldn't find. Yeah. And then, of course, oddly, in 1977, 78, Arsenal war. Which a lot of people consider to be a great away shirt. You know, the traditional colors of yellow with blue trim. Um, and the, the first time they, they had a long sleeve shirt with a blue trim was that season, 77, 78. And they had, but they had this huge blue cannon, not the traditional cannon that was normally embroidered on the shirt crest um, as the shirt crest. It was a bigger one. It had, a, you know, a bigger wheel and whatever. And, it was plum in the middle of the chest. And mm-hmm. people loved it, you know, at the time I remember it. I think Arsenal were playing against Nottingham Forest when Archie Gamble scored goal of the season um, in that kit. And I think when David Colman famously says, and Peter With Archie Gamble's come all the way from the back and With hasn't seen him. He has now, 2-0, whatever it's what he was famous for saying. Okay. Excuse me, I'm not in the streets of San Francisco right now. That's a police car going by. Um, the... Um, so it was a very, very famous kit. They wore it in the semi-final at Stamford Bridge against Orient in the in the semi-final. And you know. But for the final, Umbro, Arsenal were very resistant to change. So for the final, they wore an AirTech shirt, but it was a crew neck, short sleeve crew neck, but it was AirTex. But it was the first time ever that an Umbro logo appeared on an outfield Arsenal player shirt. Mm. And Umbro needed to brand the, the shirts for the final. So they went to Arsenal and said, this is what we want you to wear. This has got the branding on it. And then, of course, then they went, oh, and to, to pacify you a little bit, we put these AFC Cannibals underneath the cannon. You know. So the cannon barrel of the cannon saw the addition of the AFC Cannibals oh, for the first time ever in that game. Oh. And that was what it was. it was. It was all to do with branding. So these shirts weren't used on the big occasion having been worn all season similar to what Liverpool did in 85 when they when they played in the European Cup final where an Adidas kitten, um, and they'd worn umbra all season, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that shirt, the 77 78 is away, is so, so, yeah, seventy-seven, seventy-eight away shirt is just the most difficult to find. Mm. Um, they just don't exist. and um, But most of the time shirts survived. For instance, the only shirt in the book of the First ever yellow shirt that Arsenal wore. It was it made in long sleeve, it didn't have a blue trim. And they used it in long sleeve version between 1968 and 1976 77. And the only one we could find in the book that survived was the League Cup final from 1969 because it was a Cup final and players were able to take them home.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. ah yeah because it's a one-off you're not going to use it again yeah oh, th- all,
2: the, all the normal standard shirts have just been reused and reused until they fall apart and i yeah. mean that's what subsequently to the book's release we f- we went and visited a player whose mum had made him in, in the early 50s had made him 1951 had made him an arsenal shirt out of a white shirt and she'd unstitched the sleeves hmm. she done un- she'd taken off the, the collar and she dyed the body of the shirt red and stitched the sleeves and the collar back on. Mm-hmm. And the player still had it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then he pulled out the suitcase and said, "Oh, I've got a few other bits, lads." And he, and he, James was, with, you know, James was there, and 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 he, because he'd wrapped him up in tissue paper. He went, "That's blue. There's a blue shirt in there." And he pulled it out, and it was the 1967-68 Arsenal blue away shirt, the navy mm-hmm. shirt. It's the only one known to exist. <laughs> it was like discovering a new species of animal, you know. <laughs> Honestly, and then of course he pulled out the the all red shirt
1: that uh, yeah. the wore
2: from sixty five to sixty seven. Yeah, and and I said to him, "You acquired these from training, didn't you?" And he went, "Yeah." He said, "I put them, must have put them in my bag and taken them home without realising it, and we would we were using them in training."
1: The, I mean, the book is fantastic, and it has has all these kind of th- th- some wonderful shirts in it, and and I'm still more interested in the modern day ones, so I, I like the fact that the the red current shirt in the Champions League didn't have the embroidery around the crest and that kind of thing, so that's all fantastic, and obviously there's a, a story about the red current shirt that, that's that been uh-huh. talked about before, but people just need to get the book, because it's about to sell out, isn't it, well, it's close to selling out, so this is your sort of your last chance to get it, and... Everyone's got to own it. It's fantastic.
2: Well, I mean, I've been overwhelmed personally by the, by the response. Um, I've been blown away. And, and a lot of people, I mean, we've had just amazing feedback on it. And the, the fact that we thought we were going to take, at best case scenario, five years to sell out of the book, and we're, we're 18 months down the line and, and the publishers told me, you know, we'll be lucky to get to Christmas with hmm. what we've got left in stock. With, with the way sales are going. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the, the knock-on effect from that was that Arsenal, when they saw the book, they, the people in the clubs both said to myself and James, you've done an Arsenal shirt book in the way Arsenal Football Club would love to have done it, but didn't have the resources to do it all the time. And that's probably one of the nicest things that they were said, you know, for a football club to say that to you or people representing a football club say that to you. And, of course, the knock-on effect to that, again, was that we ended up doing the feature in the programme this season, you know, selecting out yeah. a shirt from, you know, a famous shirt um, and, and and doing a, an expanded feature on it that's not, you know, it's expanded upon what's written in the book and also updates the information because research keeps
1: going, you know. the Just a couple of things I want to... What to leave people with? It, what What's the best shirt that you own at the minute? Goodness me! The best shirt I own at the minute.
2: If I'm honest, um, I, it can change. It can change daily, weekly. It, it changes. You know, depends on mood. And um, I mean, as a Welshman, I collect Ryan Giggs shirts. So I've always thought he, you know, he, he's a standout player of his era. One of my favourite shirts in my collection would be the 2005 FA Cup final shirt, the black shirt that United wore against Arsenal. First time Nike had two teams in an FA Cup final. And first time it was ever decided on penalties. But Ryan Giggs came on at the start of extra time. And I was at the game with a friend of mine. And he, he um, at the end of the game, he, he, he clapped the, you know, the the United fans that were left. Then I was still up in the upper tier. Um, and below us, he walked over. And, and and it was a young lad gesturing to him, can you can have your shirt? So he took it off and he gave it to this kid. And there was a, an elderly gentleman sitting next to him. And I thought, could it be the first time in history that anyone's ever parachuted down the Millennium Stadium using their coat and landing on someone <laughs> to steal the shirt? But I thought, well, well, fair play to him. He's got this shirt. And then it popped up on on ebay and it was neville evans who said to me you're not interested in that gig shirt then?" Mm
1: -hmm. so i went
2: and looked at it and it turns out that it was his shirt and Uh so i got into conversation with the guy and and he confirmed it and and um because i i knew where he was sitting so i i asked him to show me evidence of the ticket where he was and he still had it and 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 he wrote a letter to confirm and everything else but i'd physically seen ryan Giggs give this shirt mm-hmm. to this lad and I bought it. And um, so I suppose the story that goes with that and the fact it's Ryan Giggs and a cup final shirt, because um, in memorabilia circles, for whatever reason, Manchester United carries a premium. So the fact it's a Manchester United shirt from an FA cup final from my, one of my favorite players of of the last 20 years and and the way it, the story that goes with it, you know, physically seeing the player give it to this lad mm-hmm. after the game, and eventually, you know, ten years later or eight years later, whatever it was, getting it, getting it back, it's just. So I suppose the Ryan Giggs match-worn two thousand and five FA Cup final would be one of my favourites. Okay, but I have numerous ones. You know,
1: I mean, how about a holy grail shirt, one that you you want that that is always. You, you mentioned the the Arsenal shirt with the blue sleeves. Would that be the one that you'd you'd really like to own? Um,
2: as I'm not an Arsenal fan. I'm, a, I'm an adopted gooner, I think. That's what they call me nowadays mm-hmm. because I wrote the book. Um, I know James Elkin would love that shirt. Um, but for me personally, I think there's probably two Holy Grails. One of them would be a John Charles Wales shirt just because of all the Welsh players, legends that have ever played the game from the from his era onwards. He's the only, probably the only legend I don't have a shirt of. And he's up there as probably the greatest. Yeah. So I'd love to own a John Charles shirt. And and the reason being, not only was he, he's a Welsh legend, but he managed my team. He was player manager of Hereford United. Hmm. And that kind of adds a little bit more to it. So I would. But the problem with John Charles shirts is they go for anything over two and a half grand. But I'd love to own one of those and the Admiral shirts. I'm an Admiral fan, massive Admiral fan, and I understand that if you if you miss that era, you don't get it. You know, people look at it, and go, "That's ugly." They don't get it. But in 1978, they produced Admiral produced a Hereford shirt with red and black trim. It's fantastic, but they none of them survived again. But I would love to own one of those. I mean, I managed to get hold of a 1980 81 Admiral shirt, which is my pride and joy in my Hereford collection without doubt. because not only is it a great shirt in its Admiral and it's old and it's, you know, one of the oldest surviving Hereford shirts I know of, but it's also worn by my favorite ever Hereford United player, you know, so Jimmy Harvey. So, Mm -hmm. um, those would be my two, a John Charles Wales shirt and, and a Hereford United 78 to 80 Admiral shirt.
1: Brilliant. Okay. Well, thank you so much for that shaky. This has been fantastic. Um, Pleasure talking to you. The Arsenal Shirt book, uh, The Arsenal Shirt as it's called, that is is still available, but people should hurry along and get that. Um, You could follow The Arsenal Shirt on Instagram as well, which is the underscore Arsenal underscore shirt. Is that right on Instagram? That's right, yeah. yeah. And then on Twitter, it's The Arsenal Shirt. It's on Facebook as well. Uh, You also... Have the work that you do for National Football Shirt Collection, which is nationalfootballshirtcollection.com. Um, is that so? And then you're on Twitter, a shaky match worn, and then there's an Instagram account for that, which is yeah. Wales. Oh, Wales underscore, under, yeah, sorry, Wales underscore match worn. And then there's the yeah. Wales Football Shirt Museum on Facebook, is that right? Yeah. Uh, so the football shirt uh, website is Walesmatchshirts.com for that as well.
2: Yeah. And as, and the websites, the National Football Shirt Collection, has spin-offs from that because the England collection of Neville Evans is so vast, it um, deserves its own website. But all the websites within the umbrella of the National Football Shirt Collection are, will, over the next 12 months, be overhauled and have a revamp and an update and become more modern and slinky and pop up toast and make coffee, as I said to you earlier
1: okay <laughs> well that's good we look forward to that uh so brilliant thank you very much for that and uh, we'll 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 maybe talk again because this has been fantastic if you want to contact shaky as you say uh shaky match worn on twitter is probably the easiest way to get hold of him uh, if you've got any questions to do with football shirts um don't um, ask me what
2: size Alan Ramsey
1: wears. Sure. okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah because you're probably faking it if that's okay <laughs> uh Yeah, so if you want to get hold of me, I'm j29ers on Twitter, but probably go to Shaky for things first, I'd imagine. That's far more interesting. Uh, Designfootball.com is our website. Designfootball.com on Facebook and Designfootball on Twitter if you want to let us know anything. If you want to say anything about the podcast, uh, just get in touch there. But aside from that, thank you, Shaky. And I'll speak to you again soon. Thank you, Jay. Cheers. Bye-bye now.